like to introduce to you, we have some visitors today from Suwannee, where uh, we went to seminary. Dr. Bill Brosen was my preaching professor, and Mary Ann Patterson was the communications person for the old seminary, and they came to visit us today. So welcome, y'all. Thanks for being here. And welcome, too, to Lent. Uh, it may take us a few weeks, and we get six of them to start to warm up to this. Uh, that was demonstrated for me that I actually wore the, the green still this morning, and it took me until... I was about to preach and said, welcome to Lent, but I realized I was wearing the wrong colors. So, um, But this is something that from the earliest days, the church um, set apart a season to prepare for the great mystery of Easter. And such so deep was the mystery that we felt we needed that time to prepare. And in these six weeks, we're invited to the holy disciplines of self-examination and repentance, prayer, fasting, and self-denial generosity and giving, and reading and meditating on God's holy word. It's time to take a step back, take stock, and pay renewed attention to what and who in our lives is bringing us closer and deeper into relationship with God, and what and who in our lives is pulling us away from that deeper relationship with God. So in other words, it's a time to ask ourselves, when do I feel joy and peace? and strength, and connected, and loved? And when do I feel fearful, and anxious, and isolated? If we can get into the habit of asking ourselves these questions, ideally on a daily basis, we'll begin to notice the patterns of thinking and behavior that lead us toward or away from the great, life-giving, and liberating love of God. Because it is difficult these days to know how to live a good and moral life. There was a time not too long ago when it was clearer. If you went to church every Sunday, if you obeyed the law and the Ten Commandments, paid your taxes and voted, said grace before dinner, all was well. But so much has changed in these last several decades. The more rev relatively privileged among us, began to realize, too slowly, that too many of our brothers and sisters in Christ have been held down and held back for too long. All of us witnessed failures of the church in our government to care for its flock and its citizens and its soldiers. The world became interconnected economically, and our newly enmeshed lives took on overwhelming moral significance before we brushed our teeth every morning. So my shirt, well, was it? sewed by someone uh, who was paid a living wage, and did the manufacturers follow environmental regulations? It's hard to know which charities we can trust with our donations, how social justice principles can be applied to the stock market, which politician really shares our values. So many of us decide just to throw up our hands, given all these nuances and complications. Other of us allow ourselves down the rabbit hole of myopic political partisanship and ideological purity. And plenty of we Christians struggle to know what Jesus would do, much less who he would vote for. But he definitely would vote, I would say. I hope you all vote on Tuesday. Um, if Jesus walked among us today, would he live off the grid somewhere in Alaska? Would he organize Burning Man? co-found Black Lives Matter or the Me Too movement? 
hard to know how to live a good and moral life these days. And that's assuming that we feel like we have a fair degree of choice about how we live our daily lives. An assumption by those with relative privilege that not everyone here shares. Choices involve power that not all of us have or believe we have to the same degree. Now there is a power dynamic that we humans arguably all participate in equally. That of our relationship to God, the creator of heaven and earth. We humans are the created, not the creator. God is infinite goodness. And our goodness is finite, limited, and learned and lived out from the God's gift of love to each of us. And though it may not make much sense to you, certainly doesn't to me, the universe creating God wants nothing else than to be in our company, to stroll with us in the cool evening breeze of Eden's idyllic trees. Seems like God would have better things to do. And as God searches for us for those walks, how does God find us so often? Hiding. Hiding in our fig leaves and loincloths because we've done something we weren't supposed to do. We ate of the tree of good and evil. We ate the fruit of the tree we weren't supposed to eat from, and it taught us good from evil. It gave us just enough wisdom to get us in trouble, to distinguish us as agents of moral reason, but without giving us quite the spiritual fortitude and integrity to live out those right ways. That bite of the apple wasn't enough to make us gods. We're still creatures just with a greater capacity to love and to give and to suffer and to harm. So we need help from each other, from God, to make the best go of, a, go of it we can while we breathe these precious breaths. What gives you life? And what will you do about the answer to that question this Lent. Today we find Jesus in the wilderness, week after 40 days of fasting and a duel with the devil. He wins because he's the son of God. But it's easy to imagine between the lines of this sparse text that there was much anguish involved. I trust from this story and from my own experience that there's a coherence, if not intelligence, to the spiritual forces of evil in this world. This claim is easier to agree with on a larger scale apart from our own lives. We can quickly think of instances in history in which humans succumb to scapegoating and demonizing their neighbors with terrible results. But I wonder if we will allow for the possibility that this adversary is at work in our own lives as well. Sadly, our own contest with evil and temptation often lead to different outcomes than our saviors go with the devil in the desert. We fall prey to pride and hypocrisy, 
the exploitation of others and blindness to human need. We envy others. We self-indulge. We are dishonest in daily life. We judge falsely and give in to prejudice. And we treat this wondrous creation as if no one will come after us. My sisters and brothers, that is what it is to be human, to be creatures, not creators. To be the ones holding the half-eaten apple we weren't supposed to eat because we wanted to be gods. And then hiding in the bushes when the one who made us and loves us unconditionally wants to stroll the garden with us. I say this all not to drive us into despair, but to tell the truth about our condition. Because the greatest tool the devil wields in our lives is self-deception. When we want something bad enough, we can file all that undercuts our desire into the dustbin. It's easy to see how our president is ignoring and rejecting and scapegoating everything that might keep him from re-election. But what about in our own lives? What do we want so badly that we are willing to ignore anything that might keep us from it? I surprised myself just this past Thursday when starting to raise money for our shower for the homeless. And I got some good news from one donor. And it was amazing how fast they decided, oh, good, we've already passed the mark that we needed to. We're, we're done with this project before we started because I just really wanted to be done <laughs> already. <laughs> and it took me, like, a while to kind of look at the numbers again and realize I still had more work to do. And then even more importantly, to realize God has more work to do. Because this project is not mine to own or control, regardless of how important I think it is. And our inclinations to self-deception strengthen in proportion to the strength of our desires. So the more we can share our desires with God in prayer and ask that God's will be done, not our own, we will know the peace that Jesus did in the wilderness after the devil left him. This is hard stuff. So if you're like me, you're going to keep sinning. That's what it means to be human. Lent is the time to embrace this fact of who we are and who God is and decide what we're going to do about it in the light of Jesus' death and resurrection. What gives you life? What will you do about the answer to that question this Lent? A couple times a week, my almost six-year-old son, Jim, uh, does something he's not supposed to do. He steals chocolate from the pantry, kicks his sister while she's reading, and he's always caught. And the first thing he does is run into his room and hide under the bed. And I think it's something a lot of we adults would like to do, too, when we get caught. But it's, it's harder to do that. And all I want to do as his dad is to coax him back out into the light again and hold him in my arms like the baby that I'll probably always think of him as. 
and remind him how much I love him. I, who, know, who knows full well what it's like and what it feels like to make the wrong choice and get caught and to feel shame. God, too, knows full well who we are. Where God was there for our beginnings, he's with us here now and will be with us at the end of our days. And even then, if we permit, God wants only to hold us tenderly and carry us into new and larger life and greater love. <laughs>